What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 173 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. Uh, as always, I'm your host. My name is Tim Backbeck, and as is always the norm recently, I don't have a whole lot to report to you. It feels like when I started this show, I didn't really know what to kind of do with these sort of opening monologues and then I kind of got into a rhythm and then with everything 2020 happened and now I don't have a whole lot to talk about but that is what it is um though I do want to say I know last week's episode we sort of trialed a new format uh with the track by track with um Lauren from Sharp Tooth really appreciate people that have kind of reached out and said it was a cool idea and given feedback on on the stuff that we've kind of put out on the socials um so I'm looking to do a few more of them and hopefully kind of keep... It might just be for the year for 2021. We'll see how it goes. But as I say, we're going to be putting ones out with the first of each month for the foreseeable future for how long I can be bothered to do it, how long you guys want to do it. So this is something that's totally in your hands rather than mine, even though I'm the one recording it, if that makes sense. It's all dependent on if you like it, basically. But people seem to like the one with Lauren, so we've got another one in the in the pipeline, which if you follow us on social media, uh, just underscore and underscore insight on Instagram and Twitter, uh, then you'll see about that in the next coming days. Um, so yeah, just want to say a huge cool, uh, thank you for, for that. Also, as I have been doing on previous episodes, just kind of want to give a shout out to what I've kind of been listening to and new cool releases recently. So uh, our last sort of interview guest uh, was Egan Cannoli from Respire. They dropped their uh, new record last Friday now, I think. Time is a void, isn't it? Um, But it's called The Black Line. If you like your sort of screamo with a bit of a, a black metal edge to it, then would highly recommend going to check this record out. It's, it is phenomenal. Um, also, other stuff I've kind of listened to this week. Um, da, da, da. Sorry, I'm just looking through my Spotify playlist because that's what I do these days. Uh, Struck Nerve released a new record called Rout the Cage. That's a pretty cool record to check out. Um the new Gamma Bomb record is also worth your time. Uh, and just like singles as well. There's a new song from Cruel Hand, which is really cool. Uh, Shay- <coughs> Excuse me. Shame released a new single. So yeah, some cool stuff coming out this week. As always, as we head towards the end of the year, which inevitably means our albums of the year is coming up. Um, it, we're looking to put it out the week of Christmas, so it'll be that Tuesday, and then I'm going to have a little break for a couple of weeks just to get rolling into the new year. So that's everything up to date with me. Hope everyone is doing well. I'm going to stop rambling, and we're going to get on to our guest. And this week I'm joined by one of the vocalists of London hardcore band Iron Out, uh, Lewis Gino. Uh, had this chat a few weeks ago now, so... If you haven't become aware of this, I've got a couple of interviews backed up, which I'm fine with because it means I've got content to go out. Some of it in terms of like what we're talking about, the time-wise, like timeline shifts a little bit, but hey-ho, we're a podcast. I can't put shit out all the time. Well, I could do, but that would be boring. Anyway, this was recorded about a month or so ago. Um, we obviously discussed Iron Out's new record that came out. 
uh, we discuss obviously Lewis himself kind of coming to to sort of like playing hardcore a little bit later, obviously being heavily involved in the London scene, but it wasn't until sort of later in life that he actually was actively in bands, sort of proven and obviously latterly ironed out. And also like the first proper tour he kind of went on being in a nightliner, which is fucking crazy if anyone knows anything about tour life. Um, but we also kind of talk about the wider London scene and the LBU and Russian Records stuff. So yeah, this is a really cool one. So please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Lewis, and I'll see you on the other side. Right, so joining me this week on the Justin Inside podcast is one of the vocalists of uh, UK hardcore grime act Ironed Out, Louis. Uh, Gino, Louis, thank you very much for, for taking time to have a little chat with me. Um, I guess it's kind of a bit of a weird time for, for you as a band at the moment. Like, obviously, the new record's out, but we've literally gone into lockdown 2.0 at the moment. So is it is it a strange time for Ironed Out at the moment? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me, Tim. I really appreciate it, mate. Um, at the moment, yeah, it definitely is a strange time for us because, obviously... We dropped a new record. We obviously want to tour it. We want to play many shows and stuff and obviously have a release show to start off with, but it's just mm. really difficult. Obviously, we knew with the first lockdown, it'll be hard. We won't be able to do anything. But then going along, hoping that obviously lockdown be eased, there might be a chance of having shows, but obviously 2020 is a write-off. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, um, it's, it's a bit of, bit of pill to swallow, but it is what it is. Obviously, people have to stay safe. That's the priority first. And obviously, once um, everything's kicked into shape and we know that we're safe and we can go back to our a relatively normal sort of like style of life, hopefully we can get shows going in 2021. Mm. And obviously, we'll we'll dive deeper into to the new record itself a little bit down the line. But as I mentioned before, we kind of went into recording itself. Like... I always like to kind of go back to my guests like origins and their roots, so to say. So how I kind of always like to get the ball rolling is to ask like, what kind of got you into sort of alternative music to start with? Like what introduced you to that world? Um, so, but basically the first inkling of me actually getting involved in alternative music uh, was probably when I was a kid. My sister, well, not in a, in a massive way, but my sister used to go to college and uh, you could, she was at the time, I didn't know, but she was, pretty much like a bit of a, a goth chick, like not in in the, right, okay. in the sense that she was just dressed heavily black. She's into like sort of like piercings and stuff. And obviously the people she's hanging around with, obviously into certain music, but she was a, a big fan of like metal and stuff. And I know she had um, Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. So that was my first sort of introduction right. into sort of any sort of like heavy sort of style alternative music. But then obviously I didn't mm. keep up with it. I was more of a, a football head. So I just preferred playing football. But further along the line, when I went to college, hanging around with friends that I'd been friends with in secondary school, going into college, a couple of them started getting into sort of like new metal and that. I never really paid, never yeah. really paid much attention to it in in in, a, in during secondary school. But once we hit sec uh, college, I sort of took a bit of an interest and I got into it in somewhere like Linkin Park, Limp Bizkit, Corn, those sort of bands. And then from there, it just uh, evolved into going to like metalcore bands. Obviously, your kill switch engages, your unearth stuff like that, and then of course some mm. of the older sort of like metal acts that used to be around back in the day, Metallica, etc. So it was just evolving and evolving and evolving. But then eventually, I heard something which was just a little bit more. I don't want to say when I say edgy, I don't mean it in sort of like oh, this is edgy and this is like 
It was just, it was just, <laughs> yeah. uh, just sounded a bit more harder, like and something that I could sort of like kind of relate to a little bit more. And then I've obviously delved a little bit deeper, and then I got into more of the hardcore sound. And then after going to a show, that was it. I just didn't look back, and this is what I've just been into ever since. Like so, that's pretty like pretty much mid 2000s 2005 when I went to yeah. the show so in terms of like those kind of like getting into like the sort of like new metal stuff was it kind of be just sort of like the peers that you were around with at school they were listening to it and it kind of just piqued yeah. your interest I mean to be fair it was just a couple of people who listened to it like everyone at the time like I mean I'm from I'm from Newham which is a, a borough in London and most people mm. in that borough will probably listen to like hip-hop grime um, so it wasn't grime then, it was like garage music at the time. People listened to Jungle. Yeah. And obviously, um, I didn't know that many people who were into alternative music from my area, but just a couple of people who were at my college and uh, maybe just one or two people who were into it, they were just like, oh, check this out, check this out. And I was like, just listen to Hybrid Theory. And I thought, oh, man, this is different. And I could, I was just sort of like vibing to it. I could, I could really, really get into it because I wasn't really feeling a lot of the other stuff that people were that would sort of like you would stereotypically listen to it just just wasn't for me like but um yeah that's 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 basically how it all started for me really like just going from just friends in college and that and then after that mm. uh once i decided this is the sort of music i was going to get into i'll just go into like various record shops and, that, and then along the way just meeting different people going to nightclubs and stuff and then it just snowballed from there really yeah, and before we move on, I've just got to ask because you said you're kind of very much a football head. So who's who's oh, your team? West Ham, sadly. Uh, okay. <laughs> I support West Ham. Yeah, but I think I've, I've, I was a bit too much information on that. But yeah, who do you support? You watch football yourself? <laughs> yeah, well, so I'm I'm Portsmouth. Oh, Portsmouth you're a Pompey so fan. Pompey oh, okay, cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm very much worse off than you. Oh, are. well, Portsmouth won the FA Cup. Like probably when was it? Ten years ago now. Yeah, 2000, well, a bit a little bit longer, 2008. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. That's so, when Sol Campbell, that was yeah. at the club, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, in terms of, like, you said kind of, like, the sort of, like, listen to music evolved, evolved, and then kind of, at some point, landed on hardcore sort yeah. of thing. So, what were the first kind of, like, bands and iterations that you were kind of listening to when you were younger that kind of, pulled you into it because like obviously I'll, I'll get on to like the London scene and sound a little bit later but what were the bands that you were listening to that kind of got you into hardcore um well I mean obviously I have to mention a couple of but the band that actually got me into hardcore was a uh, Mabel that was the actual band yeah right here in the tune pride so there used to be a nightclub yeah yeah there used to be a nightclub in um Tufnell Park, uh, a venue called the Dome. I'm pretty sure you've been there before. Um, they do a lot of metal shows. They do a lot of hardcore shows. They used to do a lot more back in the day. I mean, they still do now, but um, here and there, pretty much. But there was mm. a nightclub called Madball. And I didn't obviously know anything about hardcore. We used to go to the nightclub, get completely smashed out my face, just hang out with friends and just have a good time. But towards the end of the night, like there was like a hardcore half hour where there were just, people would just be, yeah, people okay. would just be moshing and just like, kind of, kind of pretty crazy. Thinking back, it was pretty corny and that, but it was, it was, it is <laughs> yeah. what it is back then, isn't it? Like, but I just heard a couple of tunes, but one band stuck out to me and that was Mad Boy. It just had a bit of like a, a street edge. The lyrics were relatable. It just, it just sounded different to me. Like, and I was like, it sounds, it, it sounded even though it wasn't, it sounded a little bit like it could be a hip hop sort of thing, but it wasn't. 
but that's yeah, basically yeah. how I, how I took it and how how it felt. And then obviously, once I've done a bit more info, got a bit more information, we're going on the net and stuff, and seeing who the band were and stuff, and hearing some different tunes. I was like, okay, yeah, this is for me. Like this, this is definitely yeah. what I need to be getting into. So yeah, my introduction band was definitely Madball, like hundred percent. It's quite funny that you say Pride as well, because like that was kind of like my first like introduction with Madball as well, because they obviously that record came out on Roadrunner, yeah. and um, you might remember this. I don't know, but do you remember the the Drill in the Vein VHS video no, tapes? I don't, I, no, I don't know that at all. Like that. So they so basically Roadrunner did this like compilation like uh, VHS tapes, and it was all like music okay. videos, and it was like. Coal Chamber, Sepultura, yep. Slipknot, but it had so the. This is how I kind of got into hardcore in a way. So it was Biohazard Punishment was one of the songs, and Pride Madball, and it was like because they kind of stood out from like the metal songs that were on those VHS tapes. Like I sort of gravitated oh, towards it. Cool. So it's interesting that that's the same song that. That kind of yeah, you I mean, well. to be fair, Pride is that catchy sing-along type of tune. Like, I mean, it's got everything. Yeah. It's got everything. I mean, the, the intro to the actual build-up of the tune is pretty hard, but it's a tune that people can just sort of like get down with and like to be nodding their head along and that like and sing along to it, especially when they play it live. But in a club setting as well, it's just a, a, a good tune to hear. So, yeah, that's mm. a band. That's definitely a good tune. So, in terms of like playing music, obviously, like. You're obviously now in in Iron Dale, but have been in sort of previous bands. But you've, like, as far as I'm aware and, and my knowledge of you, you've always been a vocalist or a front right. person. But have you kind of dabbled with with like playing instruments, or is it just something that's not oh, really interesting? Uh, <laughs> you? <laughs> I, I bought, I, you know, I've, I bought a bass guitar years ago. Like, I've I've lent it out to so many different people who have needed a bass on the night because obviously you know how it is in hardcore metal. Sometimes people need to borrow an instrument because they don't have one or yeah, it's yeah. broken or whatnot. But I've lent it to many people who've played my bass guitar, but I've never, I've just, I'm kind of lazy when it's come to it. I should really have sort of like at some point gone, you know what, Louis, spike the bullet and just learn this bass guitar. I mean, it's probably one of the easiest instruments to use out of everything apart from being a vocalist. But yeah, I could have been a bassist, but it just never happened. I mean, it still could happen. I could have used this time during lockdown to learn to play bass, but <laughs> yeah. I definitely didn't. So yeah, I could have been a bassist, but yeah, I've just been a vocalist all yeah. the way through. So... Like in that terms, then is it as like being a vocalist? Has that kind of been something that you've like always kind of actively seeked out, or was it just kind of like when you were sort of dabbling and kind of wanting to sort of experiment with starting bands that that's what you naturally kind of drifted towards? Um, I guess because obviously without not being able to not play any in, any instrument at all, like drums, guitar, or bass, that was obviously the only thing I could do if I was to join a band. But mm. It was never ever my intention to to join a band uh, to start with. I just was pr primarily just into the music. Like, I just wanted to go to shows, check out as many bands as possible, just absorb the music as much as possible. Then once it got to sort of like a point where it's like, all right, I know what's what and what I like and what I don't like, etc. Then I thought the next step is obviously to to join a band. And then um, I tried. I, I mean, I didn't put myself out there. I was a couple of bands. One of my friends' bands. Um, I asked if I could join, but because I was working a shift at the time when I was working in Dagenham, it was like one o'clock in the afternoon to like nine o'clock in the evening. It's not really possible to get to band practices and that, especially when yeah, you're yeah. one end of London and practices in another end of London. So that just never happened. That was sort of like my years of being in the hardcore scene where I, I did 
didn't really go to as many shows. I could only maybe make weekend shows and the odd weekday show if I was off or if I was starting a bit early on the day, etc. But going back to just being mm. being doing the band, like once I got the opportunity to to join, I just took it with both hands. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do it. And then I just played my first show, and then it's been uh, it's been plain sailing all the way through. <laughs> Could say that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And because as you say, like kind of growing up in in sort of London and sort of the surrounding areas and and things like that. And as I said, I I do want to get onto LBU sure. in a minute, but in terms of like going to shows when you were younger, like so for for me, as I said, like I've put I've been in Portsmouth, like grew up there, but I lived in London for a little bit when I was at uni, and like one of the big things for me moving to London was I knew that there was a really thriving hardcore music scene yeah. there. And like it's always kind of been that. Like when I was like younger, like flicking through Kerrang, like the bands would always hit like the underworld or what whatever yeah. it was. So when you were younger, like were you kind of actively seeking out these shows or was it just something that you kind of like stumbled across and then you were like, oh, there's this whole world of hardcore and then started going to So um, as I mentioned earlier on, I was into like the metalcore sort of bands, obviously after going to being into a new metal band. So I went to, I used to mm. go to a few metalcore shows and stuff and obviously alternative bands and clubs, etc. But um, a friend of mine or an ex-friend of mine, I don't really see anymore, there's no bad blood or anything, but... That's the person that introduced me. Said, "Come, just go to a show, check it out." Because I was always interested in like hardcore, but I never knew anyone who was into it as well, like as as much as this person. So I thought, yeah. "Let me just go." So I went to the Mabels. I went to Mabel. So I went to an Underworld show. That was my first show. I went to it was a Hoods, Nine Bar, and Awoken. Uh, no, Hoods taking. I think it's Hoods taking names and Awoken. Sorry, yeah, that was my first show at yeah. the, um, at the Underworld back in '05, and um, went to that. And then after that, I was like, "Oh." I just need to find out where there's always going to be shows. So I used to obviously look in um, uh, what magazine it used to be um, Sound Control. I think it was a magazine. I think that's what it was called. Yeah, Sound yeah, Control yeah. magazine. Obviously, Kerrang. Kerrang didn't really have too much, but um, it was internet basically. And obviously, Ruction Records as well used to have flyers at their desk, so you'd always pick one up. And then obviously, I'll check the Underworld listings in their window, and um, and Star Greens as well. Um, they used to do um, all different shows. It wasn't just music, they used to do theatre and stuff, but they would have listings as well. So it was just basically checking the internet and even local papers like around my way, I used to check New Recorder and sometimes they, mm. they would list the odd show here or there, but not all the time. But one time I did see a listing for a show and I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, I need, I need to get to that. So yeah, it was pretty, yeah, pretty, <laughs> yeah. much, pretty much picking up show flyers and um, internet and the odd magazine here or there. Mm. So then... In terms of you actually like being in a band and sort of starting out your kind of journey into sort of playing music, yeah. what was kind of like the first iteration of, of bands that you you were in? Like, so what kind of age were you when you started oh, sort of like wanting to be in bands? Oh, I started late, mate. Um, so first, so obviously I got into it in 05, like actual the music. First band mm. I was in, I joined was in 2012. And that was the first band yeah, oh, okay. that was proven. So like eight years ago was the first. Oh wow! So Proven was your was Proven your first was band. My first band, yeah. Proven was the first, first okay. band that I was in. Um, I got approached by the guitarist uh, who was also in a band called Hellbent Diehard. Really, really good technical band. Like just, just, just mad, mad sort of like musicianship. But yeah, it's 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 not for everyone. But a lot of people were definitely into it. 
But uh, yeah, he approached me. We mm. went to the 15th anniversary um, Knuckle Dust show at the uh, 12 Bar, and he was talking about starting yeah. a new band and uh, he was looking to get people to join, etc. And then he he just he asked me if I was interested, and I was like, yeah, I'll be down. Think he asked me. We just spoke about it briefly, then I forgot about it. And then the other vocalist, <laughs> the other vocalist, improving John, who's started a new band called Infraction recently. He was when he said to me, "Yeah, we're starting this new band. Me and you could do vocals together." And I was like, "Man, I'm done." So we did it. So how old was I? So 2012. Um, shit, my maths is off today. Um, so I must have been what, eight years ago. I was like 27 years old. Yeah. Oh, okay. 20, yeah. Eight years ago, yeah, twenty-seven years old. I'm trying to start my band. So I guess then, in in some aspects, that's kind of maybe a bit beneficial because I think like usually when people start their first bands, obviously they're kind of like late teens, yeah. early twenties sort of thing, and especially like for a vocalist, like where you are kind of that that focal point, it's it can be unnerving. But I guess because if you came at it a little bit later in life, like you've got life experience and things like that. So did you still have those nerves or did you kind of take it like in your stride kind of um, thing? I, I mean, I'll, I'll speak without sounding, uh, don't want to come across like I'm being cocky or anything, but I always just, I had, I had, <laughs> yeah. I had the feeling that, yeah, I could do this, but at the back of your mind, you're always thinking, is it going to come across sincere to people who are watching you down below in the crowd? Cause I've always watched bands from the crowd and like, you've seen all these different vocalists and be like, oh man, how do these guys do it? Like they're so good. And then afterwards, they're down mm. on the floor, standing next to you, talking to you, have a conversation, or just next to you, watching the bands as well. So in the back of my mind, that was what made it easier because I knew there was a level playing field of like, there wasn't no rock star sort of type mentality of like, once you play, you go backstage, you don't talk to anyone for the rest of the night. Whereas in the hardcore scene, especially the underground ones, not so much mainstream ones, a little bit more like the rock star sort of type, but not all of it. But yeah, it just it kind of grounds you. And I just felt that, yeah, it was, it's going to be easy for me to be able to get up on the stage and still be a regular person. So I just took it in my stride, basically. But I do, I did used to get nervous. Sometimes I still do get a little bit nervous. Like, I'm not going to lie. You get a little bit of butterflies in your stomach, especially when you play to a, a new crowd as well. You don't know how the crowd's going to be, whether or not they're just... Hardcore is such a thing where crowd participation is everything. So sometimes when a crowd isn't yeah. participating as much, it does kind of knock you for six, but you just have to go with it and just give it your all and just do whatever you can do. And then hopefully the crowd with yourself, obviously geeing them on and, and geeing them up and getting them going. It's um, eventually you sort of like find your stride and you go from there. Like, but yeah, it, it was, hmm. uh, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't too hard, but at the same time I knew it was um, a learning curve of what I had to do as well. Yeah. So in terms of like, kind of approaching it like for being a, a lyricist and a vocalist like what was your kind of approach sort of to to writing lyrics then for the first time around because again like some people like they've been they've been writing stuff all their lives and and whatever and then it's kind of an easy transition into then putting that into like music or so what was your kind of process in in those early days like how did you approach oh, it it was um I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the best lyricist. I'll be the first to admit that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I would write stuff, but it's just I always the way I write is if someone has. So some people can just write um, lyrics and lyrics and lyrics and just have books and pages yeah. of lyrics without with no music. They just written stuff down. I can't do that. I need to have some. I need to have something behind it for me to actually go. All right, this tune would sound good over this bit of music or. 
this bit of musical sound over these bits of lyrics, etc. So it started off for me just once I got bits of music. And obviously I was in a band with another vocalist as well. We would just mm. come up with ideas as to what we're going to be talking about and what our subjects would be. So obviously we li- liaise with each other and then put down what we want to write down and then we just basically go from there. But um, in terms of lyrics and that, yeah, I didn't have like lyric books or anything. And I just knew what yeah, knew yeah. what I wanted to say and what I wanted to put down and then I'll do it. And then we would jam it, practice it, and then put it on a demo or, or then record it and then go from there. Mm. I'm going to take a little bit of a step back because I will kind of talk about LBU now because I think it's a good time sure. with where Proven kind of came into it. So obviously, like you mentioned, kind of like Madball kind of being like a jumping in point. And like, I think for a lot of people that are into hardcore, especially here in the UK, like they obviously find the American bands first before they find the UK Correct. bands. And I think like, so if I give like for me specifically, like, and this isn't going to be a slight on Iron no, or anything like that, but like when I was younger, like the whole LBU Ruction Records thing wasn't my cup of tea. I was very much like a melodic hardcore kid. I liked like Bane, Have Heart, those kind of bands. But there was like a group of friends that I know and obviously still know today that absolutely loved early Russian record yeah. stuff like obviously like as you say like nine bars Special knuckle dust, like that, yeah. 50 caliber yeah so how did you kind of find those bands in the first place and what kind of drew you to that um so as i mentioned the first show i went to was um hoods awoken taking names no hoods were the american band awoken were from um uxbridge area i think and then um taking names were a, a local London band. I'm not sure what all of them were from, but they were definitely sort of like a London base, but they were on Russian records. So, mm. and they, when I saw them, they blew me away because of the energy of the crowd. So I was like, okay, like this is obviously a London band. I need to check out and see what, what, what else is, what else they have. So I went to obviously to the distro and then went through the, the Russian distro. Obviously Poppy was there at the time. Who's, who's still doing a Russian, doing a Russian distro to this day. And I picked up the compilation CD, Time for Some Ruction. And it was from there that I kind of understood the different styles of what people were doing and, and what bands were obviously on the label. But I was obviously more into like the tough guy hardcore sort of thing. So obviously being into Marble and stuff, that was my sort of thing. New York hardcore was my thing. But the thing with New York yeah. hardcore, there are so many different styles of bands. Like it's not just tough guy bands. There are bands with guys who are, who are tough but the music doesn't necessarily come across as if it's sort of like a tough guy beat down. Cause obviously you've got a band like Bulldoze and then you've got a band like say Vision Disorder or Crown of Thorns. Like they, they all sound, they all sound different, but they all come under the New York Harper yeah. umbrella. But um, yeah, once I got into, once I've got the time for some ruction CD and picked up a couple of other stuff, but the time for some ruction CD was really important to me. Like probably one of the most important CDs in the early days. And I mean, even still to this day for me, because I managed to just check out loads of different bands, especially not just London. It was a UK-based label um, and compilation. Yeah. So there was different, Nina. So there was different bands uh, that I could check out and I could get into. So I just went from there, basically. Nina. And was it like, I don't know, because as you say, like the whole sort of like New York hardcore thing and like it's more sort of like LBU sort of specific, like, it has a very sort of distinctive, like British London sound. Like I think a lot of those bands, they they maybe not necessarily play on it, but like 
they are proud to be from London and like you can hear specifically in the vocals you can hear like London accents which I think is like a really unique thing so for somebody growing up in London that was kind of discovering hardcore to hear that was that kind of a draw? 100% because obviously like like most things like films tv music everything is obviously more geared towards america but then obviously we know that we've got our own stuff over here which is just as good but then when you've got a label which is based in london and you've got bands who are from london and you've got people who are the same sort of type of people irregardless of your your race your gender your background you just all feel and vibe the same sort of thing because you're from you're from London or even you're from the UK. So mm. you, you get the humor, you get the idea, you get that attitude. So that's what drew me in to a lot of it. Like, and even still to this day, like it's just an, an important thing for, for UK hardcore. So, yeah. And obviously like on that, cause like, as you say, like it does have a specific sound. And I think it's, it's kind of like a bit of, a Marmite thing, like you either love that's, it or you that's, that's true. Kind of thing. Yeah, that is true, mate. That, that, that I, I definitely say because obviously, like, UK hardcore is unified, but it's not unified. There's obviously people like certain things, other people like certain stuff. As you just said, you like melodic hardcore sort of style of thing. So, using Tabane, yeah. have heart, obviously, comeback kid, early comeback kid, you could say you would be sort of that band because I, I love that stuff as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was more into comeback kid than anything, but you always knew that with Ruction, it was going to be a certain style. And if you listen to another label, it will be a certain style. So it's just, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate. It's one of those things like that. Um, it's all hardcore, but it's obviously just depends on what the sort of type of thing that you are into that sets it apart. So yeah, it is definitely quintessential, a little bit more on the heavier side. There are some punk, punkier sort of site type bands but it's just generally overall, it's just more of like sort of a street led street level sort of like type of hardcore. Yeah. But the the reason I say that is because like, obviously again, kind of being London specific with sort of like the LBU stuff. And like when you were kind of starting with, with proven and, and things like that, like oh, basically, so like you said, mentioned earlier, like it, it was a kind of a community based thing that was, it didn't matter. Like, your your race your gender and whatever but then obviously like when you kind of go further outside that bubble especially kind of in like the earlier days of sort of hardcore and stuff it wasn't maybe like it's always been a a diverse community but there's always kind of been fractures and and things like that so and obviously with yourself being a person of color like did you find like when you kind of went outside of that bubble of of london that it was a bit tougher or was that something that you didn't really um, see? I'll be, honestly, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Anytime I've gone outside of the U, outside of London to play shows or to have gone to a show, like, I've never experienced any sort of hostility, any sort of weirdness. It's just people who have been really cool. Like they've always been, oh, you're, you're those guys from London or, oh, you in, you from London. People just intrigued to see you there or to hang out with you. Like, but in terms yeah. of the article scene, I mean, I'm me speaking from my own experience. I can't speak for anyone else who might have experienced something which is just a little bit off or a little bit weird when they travel outside of London because London is very much a very multicultural, a diverse city. But for me personally, mm. I've never experienced any sort of drama or hostility. I've been to shows in Manchester. I've been to Leeds. I've been to places that, well, I've even been to the smaller places. I've been to places like Milton Keynes. And then I've even played a show in Lincoln before. And 
there was no weirdness. We're just people who were just intrigued and just wanting to hang out and have fun and just be there for the music first and foremost. But um, mm. yeah, it is sometimes, yeah, you do go to a show and I mean, even here in London, I'll, I'll go to a show and then I might be the only black person there, but it doesn't really bother me or affect because we're all there. Yeah. We're all yeah. there to listen to the music. And like some people might be going, oh shit, there's, there's a black guy there. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm here in it. I'm, watch, yeah. I'm here watching the bands just like you or just come to hang out and see friends and whatnot. Like, but it's just one of those things. Like, I mean, you do, when I go outside of the UK, go to mainland Europe, again, people that are really fun, really friendly and extra trouble at the same time. Yeah. Sometimes you will get stares and we'll be like, oh, I didn't know there'll be a black guy in the band or like, people have been surprised even to see me in a band as well sometimes. We just kind of, not, don't want to say shocking, but I'm in a band of Wemmer who's in Knuckle Dust and Knuckle Dust are one of, if not the biggest band in the UK and they're a, a massive draw yeah. around Europe as well. So, you'd think that people would be like, oh, okay, there's definitely more sort of like people of colour in the hardcore scene in the UK, etc. But you just, but overall, I haven't experienced no hostility at all. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, only, that's only a good thing. And obviously, I'm not naive to think that there's never been any hostility towards anybody. Obviously, I can't speak for all different other scenes. It might be different in the metal scene, it might be different in the oil scene, etc. Because I know sometimes you do get some sort of like, sketchy people with different views and that but hardcore wise i've never experienced any drama before like and that's that's and that is even more of a testament to how hardcore is very exclusive and an open place for everyone to enjoy Mm. and so if we go back onto like your kind of musical career as you said sort of like proven was the first band that you sort of started but like in terms of kind of being integrated within that world like it's, it's all well and good kind of like going to shows and supporting the bands in terms of watching them. But how did you kind of get into sort of like the, the Ruxian Records family and the LBU sort of oh. like crew, so, so to say? How did you kind of meet them? Lot? So it just, I mean, as everything, everything starts off as organic and just, just, just going, as I always say and say to some young people if I chat to them and whatnot, it's like you just go to shows and you just hang out and you just you're there for the music and eventually you just start meeting different people and it just and mm. it just from there it just it just evolves into like oh one day you're, you're hanging out and then two years later you're still there coming to shows and then people are seeing your face all the time and they're like oh this person's into it like he's not a johnny come lately or someone who just flirts with it here and yeah, just yeah. comes to one show and then you see him again in a year and then you might see him again in six months then it's another year but then i just was always going out to shows and stuff and just sort of like just being around, not trying to, to be around too much, like to, oh, I need to be part of this, I need to be part of that. I just was just there. And then eventually I just started talking to different people and then someone introduced to one person, then another person introduced you to that person. Because I used to know people, I've seen people's faces who for like, even before I started bands, who I'd always see at shows and be like, oh, hey, how's it going? But I never know them properly. And then maybe 10 years yeah. after just saying hello to them, I've become their friends properly. Like we start having a proper conversation and stuff. So <laughs> yeah. never, I never, it was never forced in terms of me joining the LBU or getting involved in the production scene. It was just going to shows and just hanging out and just being with like, it's, it's a London is a, just, as I keep saying, it's a, a diverse place where everyone just sort of like has the same sort of kind of backgrounds, upbringings and sort of like mentality. So it just comes about as just friends first music as well. And then eventually you just bonds grow and then 
you become part of something. Yeah, I, I, I can totally relate to that. It's sort of like you say hi to someone and then years later down the line, like you become friends with them. Yeah. So like, as as I mentioned earlier, like I went to, to London for uni um, and would go to like under, underworld shows and things like that. And I always remember sort of like there was a like a like a specific group of people that I would sort of see and it would it would literally be like because like I'm six foot two I'm ginger I'm lanky <laughs> I stand out sort of thing so like it would be like a you're right and that would yeah. kind of be it but then like years later sort of like specifically around sort of like the last couple of years like when shows started going to New Cross yeah. Inn like I'd see those same faces again. And like, so you, probably a couple of people, you know, like um, Willie. From yeah, I know Who Will, cares. Yeah. yeah. So like, he's one who like I saw who I'd always kind of bump into, but would never really know. But now it's become like a good friend. And it's just like, it's cool how those kind of connections and relationships. It is, it is cool. Like, like, it's up. just like, in terms of, as you just mentioned, you see someone from 10 years ago, it was always just, hey, how's it going? And then you just walk on into the night and you enjoy your night. And yeah. then 10 years down the line, you're like, hey, how's it going? You're having a proper conversation. Then before you know it, you're going out for dinner, you're hanging out properly, you're going to things outside of hardcore shows as well. Like, so it's just, it's just, it's it's a beautiful thing, man. That's what hardcore is all about. Like the amount of, the connection yeah. that you can make with different people and, and outside of shows, even though you met at a show, it's, it's just, it's kind of remarkable. I don't know, many other mm. things that I like that maybe say football I, I guess but yeah, yeah. Music yeah. Like, it's just one of those things like and then so in terms of kind of proven like obviously that was sort of like your first kind of iteration into kind of like doing the shows and things like that and like as you kind of mentioned earlier like the sort of London crowds like what they do go like hard for their own sort of thing so like when proven started doing shows and kind of getting a bit more sort of notoriety towards it. Was that something that you found that was like, maybe not necessarily London specific, but like in the UK, like when you were doing shows that people would kind of rep the UK when you guys came out? Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, like Proven, it's, it's, it's kind of sad because Proven, although we had a little bit of a following, we never went anywhere further than like just being a UK band. We had some fans in, on the mainland and that, but we had people who would come out um, we had a big following, like, in Milton Keynes, in, like, sort of smaller towns. We just we had people who would come out to come and see our band, like, because the band, musically, was very technical. It was very different to what a lot of people were doing. Mm. Obviously, having two vocalists who had two different styles. Um, it, it was... London was our home, obviously, but then we had a couple of places outside of London as well. But Milton Keynes, definitely, they repped us hard. Like, the, the, the people who were from who used to go to shows in Milton Keynes or the shows that we used to go and play in Milton Keynes. Yeah, people would definitely be, would come out and be hard for us. Like, but I mean, at the same time, um, a lot of people checked us out, but it just, it just never really took off as big as, say, as some other bands. Like, not to say that the, the band was, was terrible or anything. It was just one of those things, you know what I mean? It's just one of those things that just it seemed to happen. Yeah. Because did you tour much with with Proven, or was it just kind of like weekends it's just and a shame, shows like and exactly like, like we never toured at all. Like so, we done odd weekend shows here and there in the. We didn't even do that many UK shows like at all. Like we, I mean, yeah, weekend shows in the UK. We done um, did we? Yeah, we done a couple of um weekenders on the mainland. We done two mainland weekenders, which are really good. 
But obviously, if we had done more, if we had been like a band like Backdown, who used to do loads of weekenders and no second chance, another band, yeah. they done loads of like, they done tours, but they done more weekenders. Like, they got big followings at, in the mainland. Obviously, Backdown, Rest in Peace, they're not a band anymore, but they, in the, in the, in the time that they were around, they put themselves out. And that was the, the, the biggest problem and the shame of that proving is that we never put ourselves out there by playing more shows in the mainland or more shows here in the UK, like just going like, We'd, we'd do a weekend and we'd be like, oh, that was so good, we need to do another one. But then we'd go dormant for like a couple of months or six months and nothing would happen. <laughs> yeah. We'd always be writing music or we'd always be practicing, playing a show here and a show there. We we had some great, we, put on, we played some great shows. We we played with some great bands as well. And we'd done Europe a couple of times, but I really wished that there was so much more with the band that we could have done. But alas, it was just a shame and it just it just came to an end, sadly. Mm. It's funny because I've weirdly completely forgot about No Second Chance until you mentioned them. But I remember there was a period of time like they were literally on every show the, everywhere. There was there are some bands who are literally on every show all the time. But it just shows you the hunger that bands just want to play. They just want to get themselves out there, like, and that's how you get yourselves further up bills, and that's how you get yourself in the eye of people who want to put bands on their on their booking agencies, etc. Or if you don't want to be a booking agency, you do it yourself anyway. That's just how you get mm. yourself up there. And people will be like, oh, they're a band that we could put on a thing. People are into them. Because people were into No Second Chance. Like, it might not have been for everyone, but they were a band that they did well. I mean, they probably did better on the mainland than they did here in the UK. Not to say that they didn't, yeah, not to say that they didn't do anything here in the UK, because they did. But on the mainland, they done fantastically well, like because they were always going out there and doing stuff. Like So that's more power to them. Obviously, um, I don't want to say they've split up, but they're not doing any more shows like now. Obviously, everyone's got a bit older. People have started families. They're doing different yeah. things, etc. So who knows? We might see No Second Chance back in the, in, in the future. But in, in that yeah. time when they were doing it, yeah, they, were, they put themselves out there. And fair play to them. So in terms of like actually going out and like, as you say, like you did go to like mainland Europe and, and did like the odd weekend and things like that. But in terms of like, a substantial tour and things. Like, when was your kind of first experience of that? Um, what mainland or to- uh, weekenders or tour? Do you mean just 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 tour in general? Oh, so I've not I've done I've done quite a few weekenders, but I've I've only ever done one tour, and that tour was with Ironed Out. Um, it was the two thousand nineteen. Was it two thousand nine? Getting my dates mixed up. Uh, yeah, it was twenty nineteen Rebellion tour with Madball, Iron Reagan, Death Before Dishonor. Um, slope from Germany, brick by brick from upstate New York, and I'm born from pain from uh, the Netherlands. That's you, that's a fucking mate, nuts it was <laughs> it was incredible, man. Like just literally, like for ten nights every night, I, I could watch Madball like headline. It was uh I, I will never I will never forget the feeling of being on a night. We we done a nightliner tour because normally some of these tours you got to get in like your own sort of your own van, make your own way around, yeah, yeah. following the tour bus. But we luckily. We got on the nightliner. I've never experienced that before. Hardly anyone. I think Wemmer's done it once or twice, but the rest of us in the band, we've never done a nightliner. So my, my first ever tour was in a nightliner bus. I mean, it doesn't happen for everyone. People have done... <laughs> it's, it's nuts, mate. So, I know some bands have been doing tours for years, for decades, and they've never done a nightliner. I'm not saying nightliner is the be-all and end-all of everything to, to, do, to do touring, but... For me to be my first tour was a nightliner. It's an experience that I'll never forget. Like, I mean, would I 
Yeah, would I yeah. tour in a normal minibus and have to slum it or stay in hostels and hotels? Of course, I would. I, I'd do that if 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 the if there was no choice and you had to do it. Like, because you're not always going to be able to get a nightline at all. It just happens to be one of those things. But in terms of like the experience and being with the bands and playing the different shows and the, I mean, we we open up every night first. I mean. You know what it's like being an opening band. People turn, yeah, people yeah. turn up later on for the other acts. I get it, it's fair enough. I, I, we've all been guilty of that. Turn up late for the for the bigger bands, but still, I enjoyed every moment of it. We managed to do a sell sell some merch, made a lot of new friends and fans as well of the band, and um, it was an experience I'll never forget. And I'm very happy and grateful to the people who got us on the tour and the people that we we toured with as well. A great bunch of people. Yeah, it's funny, like you said about the kind of like following the nightliner. So literally like before the first lockdown, the, so I do a bit of like tour driving oh, okay. and stuff like that. So um, I was out in, in Europe with, um, do you know the band Ithaca? Yes, I've heard the band mm. Ithaca, yeah. Yeah, so I was, out, I was out with them and they were on tour with, um, it's a really weird mix. They were on band um, Big Thief who were kind of like, sort of indie folk bands it's really mixed genres but they they had a nightliner bus and we were just in like a van and it was that kind of feeling of like every time pulling up to the venue seeing this massive bus and there's just us in this (laughs) did you go in the nightliner (laughs) i didn't personally i think the other guys did but it's um it's yeah one of those things just like just diet just being just being on a bunk sleeping and you know that the, the bus is driving down the highway or the motorway, obviously they call it highway over there. We call it motorway over here. Yeah. Just driving down and then you're waking up and you're in another city. It's just like, this is just mental, man. It's mental. The only thing which is a bit weird is that you weren't allowed to take shits on the tour bus until I found, until like, yeah, you weren't allowed to take a shit in the, tour, in, in the toilet. But until I found out that you could take the shit, all you had to do was just put a plastic bag in the toilet. And then obviously it's almost like a doggy bag, isn't it? Like a doggy shit bag. So, yeah, there was a couple of times when you have to wait for hours for a venue to open up and you're just like, fuck, I need a toilet. But, yeah, no more toilet talk. <laughs> well, before we kind of get into Ironed Out properly, obviously, like, the other band that I kind of know that you were part of, which I I thought was your first band, was, was Crippler. Yes. So, like, where did where did that kind of come into things? Then? So, Crippler was the band that I wanted to join, but I couldn't at first because I was working in Dagenham at the time. Right, so, okay. My friend and brother Amo, he's the drummer of Crippler. He's also the drummer of Tyrade and he's a singer of um, Life Betrays Us. So mm. he uh, he approached me because their previous uh, vocalist, his name was uh, Vince. Sadly, he left the band because he had other commitments that he was uh, into at the time. So he couldn't really juggle doing what he was doing and being in a band. They didn't want to split up, but they still wanted to continue. So they asked me, yo, do you want to join Crippler? And I was like, of course I'll join Crippler. So I joined. We've done many weekenders as well in Europe. We played quite a few shows up and down the country. Like the Crippler was a kind of a, Crippler was it's another one. It was a notorious band, man. People wanted to see Crippler on their bills, and especially for like the more sort of like heavier beat that sort of type of shows. Like mm. we was doing some moves. We've, it's just a shame that we never put out any more music because they put out one CD on, um, they put out a demo and they put out a CD on Ruction Records. But then nothing else really came of that. We were in the process of doing tunes and, and was writing new tunes and playing new tunes live, but we just didn't record anything, which is a shame. But yeah, it was just 
it's another one, man. It's just one of those things with some Russian bands. It's kind of like, it's almost like a curse in a sense. Like, there's so, <laughs> there's so much potential, but then there's just little things that just happen in the background that it just never happens. But at the same time, people move on to different things, start families, jobs, etc. move away. It's just one of those things, you know what I mean? But yeah, Crippler was a, mm. was a great time. I had, especially the weekenders away with that band. Some, oh, some amazing, amazing times. Just, just pure banter arguments yeah uh, lots of drinking some drugs and shit but just just a great time basically i do miss it like, i do miss those mm. guys but just one of those things good memories yeah. yeah and just in terms of kind of like going over to to mainland because like like mainland europe has like a really like strong appetite for specifically like the beatdown kind of side of hardcore yeah. but like hardcore in general but as we've kind of already mentioned, like with the kind of Russian LBU sort of sound, it's very like British centric. So like, how does it kind of go down in Europe? Like, do they kind of get that kind of attitude? Like, I, well, I don't know. I know the one thing I know about people from the mainland, especially like Belgium, places like that, they love us because obviously they know that our bands, we like to drink, we like to party, we like to have fun. <laughs> so, yeah. That goes part and parcel with the music. The music they love, but the fact that they know they're going to hang out and drink with these crazy English people as well is, oh, I say English, British, Irish, wherever we're from. They just know that we're going to have a, a good time. And um, I don't know, it just happens to be that we're just, in terms of the music that we do, we just seem to be popular in, in certain parts of the mainland, especially like Germany, Belgium, Holland, France as well. I mean, Knuckle Dust are very. I mean, Knuckle Dust are not a Russian band. I don't say it in that sense, but in terms of like a London band, they're very popular in France, and and Life Betrays Us were popular mm. in France as well. But we just, I don't know. It's just, I just think it's just sort of like almost like a foreign export. It's that you go over to there, and it's like, oh, yeah. the, the Brits are here, like the, the fucking the people from the British Isles and, and Ireland over here. Like, let's go and check them out and and go and see what they're all about. And plus, obviously there's a lot of cockiness with the, where we come from as well. We carry ourselves in a, in a certain way and then we go over there and we're all fucking with the bravado and we're drinking, having fun and people just like that. And we're always smiling, we're always having a laugh. There's no, never any, any drama. I mean, sometimes there might be, but it's always dealt with really quickly and shit. But it's just just basically a lot of fun and that really. And I think people just take to our bands because we're just very relaxed and we don't take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. And if we, we do take ourselves seriously, we still know how to have fun as well. Yeah. So if we kind of go into to Ironed Out a bit more, you yes. see, like, you, as we've got the, the new record out now, but, like, when you guys first started, like, I, I can't... I was trying to think of this when I was, like, doing my research, and I can't for the life of me remember when I first kind of heard you guys. But, the obviously, the drawing point that is there and is there for a reason is this kind of mixture of kind of rap and grime in with hardcore and i kind of guess it kind of goes back to like what you were saying earlier with like madball kind of almost having that kind of sort of hip-hop vibe to it but in terms of like when you guys were bringing the band together like was that always a prominent point of like not that the 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 hip-hop element needed to sort of stand above the heaviness of it but that it almost needed to kind of run 50-50 and simultaneously. Was that always the, the, the idea? Yeah, of I mean, definitely. I mean, I mean, I, I never started. I mean, I, I was obviously I'm one of the original members of Iron That, but I never started the band. That was Dave 
McBoo, who started the band originally, they mm. drummed for 50 Calibre, played guitar for um, Bun Them Out, and he's done various other bands filled in as well. But those these are his, his three main bands. But he just had an idea that he wanted to do a band that was in the vein of like, I'm sure you've heard of E-Town Concrete. He wanted to do, he wanted yeah. to do a band in that sort of vein, but more like a London style to it. Not necessarily ripping off E-Town riffs and, and trying to be like E-Town, but just similar and something which is quintessentially uh, UK, London sort of vibe. And then obviously he went around just recruiting the different people, speaking to who he wanted to get in the band. He spoke to me, wasn't really, I, I agreed to do it, but I wasn't really, didn't, not that I didn't want to do it, but I was in another band at the time. So I just felt like being in another band now just was a little bit too much for me to, to, to handle. But I thought, fuck it, let me just do it. So I just did it in the end. And I'm glad that I did it, like, because we've obviously been doing a lot of great stuff since. But in terms of like the mixing mm. of the the grime element and the heavy music, yeah, that was definitely something that he wanted to do. He always he wanted to always incorporate the two because we don't know any bands that have done sort of like grime and heavy hardcore and combine the two together. There's always been bands that have done sort of like hip hop sort of style stuff. So yeah, you're talking your E Town Concrete, you're talking like. Um, your biohazards, they've always done a sort of like thing where they've mixed a sort of like an urban music and then the heavy music together. So obviously we've just come with our own sort of iteration of it. And this is where we're at now. Like, and I think a lot of people, a lot of people do dig it. Mm. And the reason I, I kind of want to sort of touch upon it, like in a way the how people perceived it. Now I'm going to give you kind of my personal perspective sure. on this so when i first kind of heard you and and saw that those kind of were the elements that were kind of brought into it my head and because london based as well my head immediately went sort of it's going to sound a bit like trc okay. yeah. and now i'm not a trc sure. fan at all i think they're a bit of a joke like that's just my personal opinion but when you i heard you guys there was a bit more like sincerity to it and like in what you were kind of saying like and i don't know the trc guys they, they they could have that to their music but i think with you it was a bit more sort of there in the forefront so but when you kind of like started putting music out and sort of playing shows was there kind of a bit of a like eh what the fuck is this sort of thing like when you kind of had those two elements together or did were people on board straight away um, yeah definitely people people obviously you got your people who are who are into it because it's heavy music but there definitely was a, a, a split in terms of like people were like right i like this but i don't quite get what they're trying to do i mean we spoke we spoke <laughs> yeah. about it recently on our on because obviously i do a podcast everyone but us with um two other guys yeah. behind that and obviously we had the rest of the band on and we did say like yeah the, the early shows there were people who were like they were like, yeah, I'm down with this, but I just also don't get what they're trying to do. Like, so it did take a while for us to sort of like find the sound or, or the, and under, the crowd to understand who, what we were trying to do. But um, in terms of what you said recently about TRC, yeah, definitely TRC isn't for, for everyone. Some people um, like the early style of TRC. Some people prefer the newer style of TRC. You know what I'm saying? But... I never, we never ever compared ourselves and in terms of like sounding that we were like TRC. I think we're definitely sort of like two different types of band and that like, I mean, mm. I think that they're, they're, they're a good band. I mean, 
the older stuff, that's the stuff that I prefer. The new stuff is okay, but I prefer their older stuff over anything. It's just that they had that element mm. of having all those different people on the stage. It was just a little bit more chaotic. And the, the, the live shows were just like, it was just, it was just different. There wasn't a lot of bands doing that sort of type of thing at the time. But um, yeah, um, some people probably at the time thought we were trying to go for like a TRC sort of type thing. Maybe they might be right, but we definitely had the different idea that it was more definitely a grime grime thing that was a little bit like e Concrete, but it was our own particular sound. And that's what we went for. Yeah. And then we just honed it and just got better at it. And then eventually people started to get into it more and more and more. I think it was once we actually put out a release and people listened to it that they started getting it. And then that's when we started playing more shows. And then we just went from strength to strength but definitely the early shows that we played like the first three two maybe three shows people didn't know how to react to it (laughs) yeah yeah didn't get it well that's what i was gonna say so i think like for me like when you guys put out in these ends that was kind of like the sort of light bulb moment for for me sort of things like oh okay i get what this is going for now so like was there kind of like a moment that you kind of noticed that there was that transition, as you say, like from the I don't quite get this to people being fully on board with what Iron Out was was all about. Um, I think I think Indies Ends on records just sounded a lot better than Us and Them. Not to say that Us and Them um, wasn't terrible, but it could have been done a lot better. Like listening back to it now, comparing it to Indies Ends and the latest record, We Move as One, it's night and day. Like it's just doesn't compare to, to, to the uh, to the later two. It just isn't as good. But it was a good start. It was mm. a good starting point for us, obviously, for the band. But in these ends, definitely, that was the record that more people were like, oh, shit, this band, is, they're, they're serious and they're bad. They just wasn't just doing something as like a little project. Like, they really mean these tunes and they really want to actually do something different. I mean, obviously, hardcore metal and that, it's getting harder and harder to stand out and do something different from the crowd than that. Like, yeah. but obviously we've got something which is definitely a little bit more different than what a lot of bands do. I'm not saying we are originals and doing this particular thing. Of course we're not like some other people have tried doing something like this, but in terms of the UK and what's going on right now, we do definitely stand out on our own as having our own particular sound and style. So that's why I think mm. more and more people got into the band, but in these ends, definitely plus having a video plus actually, getting a recording which is a little bit more better and just just playing more shows and more shows and just getting ourselves out there that's what sort of like made us more known and more what's it called appealing to the ear for some people yeah and in terms of like you mentioned the the video there and obviously you've done a couple of videos for for um the new record as well and i think something that's kind of like quite interesting with you guys and a band that's in the same world but of a different sound is is malevolence that you both kind of have this kind of very like british aesthetic or english aesthetic or whatever you want to call it like in the music videos in terms of like you're using your surroundings and you're using like the community that you've built up with like within the music sort of thing so was that sort of like again? Was that a specific thing that you guys wanted to to pull in? Was like, 
okay, we've got this, we've got to make a music video. We've probably seen various bands do X, Y, and Z ideas, but we just what kind of want it to, as you kind of say, kind of have that kind of like street vibe feel. Was that kind of what you were going for? Um, obviously, yeah. So the first video that we did in these ends was filmed in uh, an abandoned police station somewhere in Hertfordshire. And obviously, most hardcore videos have that sort of like graffiti and that street vibe, etc., to it. So obviously, we didn't want to keep doing that same sort of particular type of video, but it was a good mm. one to start off with. But then when we done our latest video, Pavement Strong, we had in our idea, obviously, it was a tune that we wanted to get people involved, with, especially our friends and our family. And of course, we wanted it to visually be about walking the pavement, walking sort of like a, a hard, difficult life, but also trying to obviously get through the trials and struggles of growing up in, in, in cities. Not just London, this can appeal to someone who's growing up in Birmingham or someone who's growing up in Pompey or someone who's growing up in Manchester or wherever. Like everyone goes through their sort of like their bad times in their life and they persevere and they get through with their friends and their family and they just go from there. But in terms of the visual, like, yeah, it's definitely, we wanted to show our city we managed to get a drum kit down into the Woolwich uh, tunnel and obviously was playing drums in mm. the tunnel, which added that. It was just <laughs> yeah. a different thing. I don't know anyone who's managed to get a drum kit in, in, in a walking foot tunnel before. Like, so that was a cool thing to do. And obviously the backdrop of Canary Wharf in the background being surrounded by our friends. And obviously it was during lockdown. So some people were a little bit offended or taken back that we'd actually recorded something like that. But at the same time, it was like, we just knew that we was we kept our distance for most of the time. It was only when it came to actually doing the shots and that, that's what we had to do. And then we was obviously mm. together for a short period of time. There was like almost like a reunion of senior friends and that. And then we went from there. But in terms of, like, as you mentioned about Malevolence, just sort of like showcasing where they're from and that, because they're a very DIY band. Obviously, they do a lot of the stuff that themselves and that. But it's just putting, it's just showing who you are as people and then, People like yeah. it, they like it. If they don't like it, then it's tough. That's on them, isn't it? Like, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And with, like, obviously the the music that you guys play, like, obviously it's, it is heavier, it's, but there's kind of, I don't know, there's like a groove element to it. I guess that's kind of where sort of like the grime aspect kind of comes into it. And I think, like, if somebody was to take it just purely on surface level, they maybe not necessarily, like, delve deeper into what you're talking about but obviously like some of the subject matters that you guys are talking about is like are quite hard-hitting subjects like either, whether it's like mental health or like racism or sort of like stuff with like the alt-right and things like that and do you think that I don't know like I think because you've kind of spoken about it like in other interviews and, and things like that and obviously like on your own podcast and stuff and I think just being in London like it's kind of and part of the hardcore scene is kind of known that you're going to be like of a leftist nature yeah. sort of thing. But if, if it was, I don't know, like if I was just to give Joe blogs, your album, they may not necessarily make that connection, but is that something that you're kind of actively trying to push is that like, yeah, we're a hardcore band that has a bit of a, a fun element. And as you say, like you enjoy to drink, you enjoy to party, but we we're still going to address these issues. We're still going to put this, at the forefront of our music. Yeah, it's, it's, it, you're, you're correct in saying that, Tim, because it's never us just sort of like going, you know, you get with some bands, it's like, we're this band, we, we, we primary talk, we 
primarily talk talk about this and this is the subject that you need to focus on and that and that and that like mm. i mean i don't mean to be i'm not being hard on anyone who does this i mean everyone's free to do it to do what they want we live in a free society but obviously you got banned to a vegan edge and they just preach a vegan edge thing it's like cool that's what you want to do yeah. but there are going to be some people who just ain't going to be into that sort of stuff and they might like your music but they might not be into the message itself obviously it's an important yeah. message but in terms for us like yeah we do wear our sort of like our, our social conscience on our sleeve and that like we do understand that there's people who do grow up and struggle and obviously there's people in the hardcore scene who have come from tough backgrounds and, and growing up in a rough way not everyone i mean i've growing up in a fairly comfortable lifestyle. We wasn't rich, but we wasn't poor either. Like, and I never went through any, any crazy stuff. But at the same time, I understand where I'm from and I'm proud of where I'm from, where I come from and stuff. And obviously, yeah, we do have to talk about and, and make note of the emergence of sort of like far-right extremist talk and stuff that's been going on, especially online. We, we see stuff that happens every day, but most stuff happens online and then sometimes things like that end up creeping into society more and more and more. And then you end up going to shows and people are sprouting stupid shit and we won't have that. So if we just make it abundantly clear in our music. Like this is who we are. This is what we're about. And we're not afraid to put that forward. We're not overtly political, like, but some of our lyrics, if you listen to them, you hear what we're all about. You'll get it. Like, mm. And that's why people say, Oh, there's no, uh, Politics and music don't mix together. Go, dude, like, you don't understand what musicals all about. Music is political. Like, music is a yeah. way for people to express themselves. Like, yeah, you're going to get bands who are going to have a far-right thing with their music. All right, cool. That's what they want to talk about. You're also going to have bands who are going to have a conservative viewpoint as well. But it's the way how you put it across and how you and how you sell it as well. Like, Because there are some bands from back in the day who had a conservative slant. They weren't racist, but they were just a little bit more conservative in what they were saying. But as I said, for us as a band, we wear our, our credentials as being pro working class. We're all about community, everyone looking out for each other. And we don't stand for any nonsense as well. So, and this is who we are. Mm. And obviously like on We Move As One, like the song um, that you've recently put out, Pagans, is obviously kind of very much of that ilk. But one song that I kind of wanted to to bring up is kind of an older song, but obviously you re-recorded it, is ACAB. Yes. And like, that's kind of like, I don't know, for some people, they kind of see that as like your kind of like, quote unquote, big that, song, yeah. because it's got that kind of like, chanty, like gang vocal moment. But for you to bring that onto this record, like, I could be kind of making my own narrative in this, but because of everything that's going on in the world at the moment, was that the choice to re-record it or was it a decision that was made way beforehand? Oh, if I'm honest with you, that was a decision that was made way beforehand because as you just uh, correctly pointed out, that is probably, if not the biggest, one of our biggest tunes, especially when mm. it, we play it live. The crowd are definitely into hearing ACAB. If we play the Eye of That show and then play ACAB, they'll probably think, oh, yo, what the fuck's met with these guys? But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, before all the unrest that happened in America and some of the shit that happens over here and, and places around the world, no, it, was, it wasn't like, oh, we need to put this song in now because of what's going on. Definitely not at all. We had an idea that we wanted to re-record a tune because remember this tune came out on our first release. So we wanted to do, yeah. we, wanted to, we wanted to put it out there again, but re-recorded just a little bit more better 
and just done right because we know that it was just such a big tune for people that they wanted to hear. Mm. So, yeah, there's no ulterior motive behind ACAB. It is what it is with the tune, but we just wanted to get it back out on the release and let people hear it properly because, obviously, it's a crowd favourite. And do you think, like, on in that aspect, like, again, I'm not saying that there was an ulterior motive, but because, obviously, like, this record has kind of picked up a bit more kind of momentum strangely in a lockdown period which is a strange thing to say but like it's getting a bit more ears on it and things like that and because of the message that's there do you think that people who maybe have not radicalized is the wrong word um who have kind of like been more open politically recently because of everything that's happened that they then hear what acab is about and they kind of make a connection and be like Oh shit! Like I can, I can get what this band are talking about, even though it is an older song. If that, makes yeah, I mean, sense. It, that people could come to that conclusion that you're right because some people are only hearing Ironed Out for the first time, so they might have heard this tune for the first time. I think they've only just recorded it until obviously if they've gone back and listened to the previous back catalogue or the or the, uh, the first release we put out, and they've gone, oh, it's just a re-recording of that tune. So. I don't know. For some people, yeah, they might see the distinction and put it together, put two and two together, and go like, "Oh, this band is like really politically aware because of what's going on around the world." And okay, fair enough to them. They might think, "Yeah, that might be correct." But at the same time, nah, it's it's, it's definitely definitely not that at all. Like we just happen to just put the tune out again, like so. Yeah. <laughs> just... And before I kind of sort of like start throwing things up, because we've mentioned it a couple of times, but obviously you and a couple of other members of of the band have your own podcast um, everyone but us um for anyone that doesn't know i'd recommend the the episode that you did do recently talking about the band and everything that's going on it's a really fun episode but like in terms of like getting that together like not just that episode but the podcast in general what was the the idea behind it because you've had some like big big name guests on it you've had other people of sort of like the lbu collective so was it just kind of to, to get those conversations going? Yeah, we, we've definitely had... Um, we've, we've been going for two years now. Like We've only had, like, things, things like 24 episodes. Like, we wish... Well, I wish we could have been doing a lot more in that time, but obviously time and and everything else that comes in between, it's not always possible. But um, when I come up with the idea of wanting to have a podcast in it, because, I mean, there wasn't a lot of hardcore podcasts happening at the time, but he always wanted to do one, so we just recruited myself, Steve, who plays guitar, and forming of BDF, and then you got Dave as well, who's an iron that. But sadly, Dave had to um, to um, stop doing it because um, he became a father, and then obviously he had the commitment of looking after his child. But it was just basically having conversations with different people in the hardcore scene, and obviously not just talking to them. The idea is to obviously talk about bands and talk about hardcore and hear the stories of how bands came back, similar to what we're doing now, but also with an mm. added edge of talking about other little bits as well that people might not know about certain stories of growing up in, in the scene of the band, etc. So it was just, it's almost like just, just a podcast of hearing about what people are doing in their bands. And that. So obviously we interviewed Freddie Marble. We also interviewed um, Brian from Death Before Dishonor. Um, we've interviewed the guy from, from Ruction Records. So it was just hearing stories from different people who have just been in the scene for a long time. And that, that we hope that, especially people, the younger generation as well, be able to hear what these people have been up to and what they've done throughout the years and then obviously 
they can hear what they've done and interpret whatever, whatever they want to interpret in their own minds. But obviously, everything that they're saying is coming out of their own mouth. So they should just pretty much all from the horse's mouth, I should say. Like, But yeah, we just started a podcast mm. just to as a, as a way to connect different people and to peop- and and for us to put people's stories out there and then people can hear what they've what they've done. And I think the the thing that I really enjoy about it is because it's that kind of like for me it's because I listen to like loads of different like music podcasts and a lot of the hardcore ones I listen to are American yeah. based. So to hear that kind of familiar like London accent, but also the way that you guys bounce off each other. Because obviously you've all known each other for years. But it's like, as you say, those little stories, but then like, it's kind of like the in-jokes and like the little digs at each other and things like that. It's just, I think it's absolutely that, brilliant. That, that for me is what why I enjoy doing the podcast a lot is because we can have that fun. Obviously, sometimes not everyone's going to get, get the in-jokes, but obviously coming as a quintessentially British thing that we always like to take the piss out of each other, like you will understand yeah. and get the jokes of, of what we're actually trying to do in that. Well, yeah, it's just it's just a lot of fun, and as you say, yeah, you hear it. I listen to quite not a lot, but I listen to a couple of American podcasts as well. Some of them are really funny, but then when you hear something which is your own people talking, you're just hearing like stories and just the little tidbits here and there. Like it, it is funny, like it is definitely a fun thing to do, and I'm glad that people are into it. Mm. And just finally, before I do let you go, just to finish on, um, we move as one. Like obviously as you kind of mentioned that this might be the first time that people are kind of hearing ironed out and, and things Correct. like that. And since like the records kind of been out, like, as I mentioned earlier, it's a weird time to be putting music out in general because of everything that's going on in the world. But what, what's kind of been the reaction that you've seen, like in terms of like a, like already fans of the bands and two kind of like getting new ears on it. Have you found that the, the reaction has been oh, quite positive? Mate, as, as, I think, as I said, I said in a recent podcast I've done with a friend, um, it's been very humbling, honestly, for me personally, it's been mm. humbling because I just, I just do music and if people like it, they like it. If they don't like it, they like it. Cause sometimes you hear people go, Oh, really, really like you, your latest release, but they're just saying it. But for this release, for the amount of people who already like the band and people who were into the band, but not necessarily about the band for them to be coming out going, yo, this release is like, up there as like going to be um, a release of the decade. People have been saying that it's, it's that, that strong mm. that it's going to be one of those like in ten years time people will still be listening about it or still be talking about it. And I hope so. But um, yeah, all to like all over the 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 response so far to the release has been so strong and that like I mean obviously bringing it out during the lockdown we've had more ears. People have been obviously not doing much. Obviously people have to yeah. go to work and whatnot or they're having to shield or they've been furloughed so they're at home so they've got time to actually listen to it and that but not playing the songs live and doing that bounce over a pill would have been a lot more better but we'll take what we've got at the moment but in terms of the general Mm. um what's the word sorry in terms of the general um response to it it's all been great so far this maybe you have a couple Mm. of people going oh it's okay but above the line everyone's been going like yeah this is fantastic it's a great release and you guys have smashed it out of the park like in terms of like a third release and an album this is on point because there's always you know when you put something out and it's always that that difficult second album or that difficult second release yeah, follow yeah. up this is like our third one so it kind of feels like it was that difficult second album and we've, we've actually come up with something and people 
people are loving it. So I'm really happy. Mm. And just in terms of kind of like future plans, I know is something that like is very unpredictable at the moment, but have you guys kind of like floated the idea of, of like what's on the horizon or are you just very much kind of taking the land as it is at the moment and just well, waiting to see what happens? Um, it's funny you say that because we would definitely like to get onto some shows and that's so anyone who's listening and they want to start booking shows up, obviously, especially on the mainland, if people are listening on it or over here in the UK or in the US, we'd be definitely down to be doing some shows in the future, obviously, pending any outcome of what happens with this coronavirus. But um, we've, we've been thinking about ideas and maybe doing like possibly thinking about doing a live stream. There's nothing been set in stone, but a live stream to mm. obviously do the release that so people can can tune and have a listen to that. And obviously we're always writing new music. We're always jamming stuff. Obviously we can't practice at the moment, but obviously once yeah. we get the green light to practice again and we're allowed to be in the same room together, because obviously it was the rule of six, the six in the band. So no, no <laughs> yeah. one can shut us down in that sense. So yeah, but the plan is definitely, we're going to be continuing writing music and at some point we will definitely hit the recording studio again, because there definitely is more to come from this band. And it would be a shame yeah. just to end, not saying that the band's been up or anything, no way am I saying that, but for it, for us to put this release out during lockdown and then we didn't really get a chance to do anything with it would be a massive, massive shame, but there'll always be something mm. else to come afterwards. You can mark my words on that. Yeah, cool. Uh, how I usually like to end this is to to ask my guests um, what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. But it might be a bit of a difficult one because we haven't had live shows in a while, but we'll give it a go anyway. Um, so what's your favourite Ironed Out song you like to play live and why? Oh, fuck me. Um, <laughs> I like playing London Belongs to Us. I think yeah. just because it's just got, it's just, it starts off really heavy and then it picks up really fast and then it sort of like comes back down again. And the Wemmer's got like a really good bit where he's obviously shouting into the mic and people are going crazy. And then obviously at the end, the massive breakdown, beatdown, whatever you want to call it. And most of the time, the room just goes absolutely fucking apeshit. So live, that's probably my favourite tune to play in that. Like, it's just, yeah. just the, the, everything about the tune is just is spot on. Like, so yeah, London Belongs to Us is probably my favourite song to play live and wind up. Perfect. Brilliant. Lewis, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, hopefully we get shows again soon so we can we can actually hear some of I these tracks. So. I just wanted to say real yeah, so, I just yeah. to say real quick as well. Everyone wants to check out Iron Out. We're on Instagram, obviously, Facebook. Um, obviously we have a big cartel where you can just you can buy our, rec our latest record. We move as one and we've got t-shirts and stuff and a lot more apparel, if that's a, a word to use, apparel. And um, yeah, and obviously if you're on the mainland as well, you can also get our record from our label, gsrmusic.com. And you can definitely check us out there. Perfect. Thank you. Brilliant. I'll put all links in the in the um, show notes. Yeah, I appreciate well, it. So yeah, thank you, Tim. Appreciate that. that. Perfect. Brilliant. But yeah, Lewis, thank you very much for your time, mate. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you again. I appreciate it. It's been a great talk. Cheers. So there we have it, folks. Again, a huge thank you to Lewis for taking some time out of his day to have a little chat with me. Um, as Lewis said at the end, you can get their new record um, on the various places that he mentioned. But as always, we will put links to various sort of social medias and, and all that good stuff in the show notes of this week's episode. Um, as mentioned at the top of the show, we will be having one more kind of regular guest 
episode next week and then we'll be doing our albums of the year um so yeah let us know what what records you've been digging this year and whether they're they feature on our lists but i'm going to keep this outro very short and sweet so thank you again for joining us on the justin insight podcast and i will see you soon